Brothers and sisters, I ask that you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. We'll be looking at chapter 14 and verses 12 to 21. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 21. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 21. Brothers and sisters, if you would, then hear with me the reading of God's Word. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him and one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Now, brothers and sisters, all of us probably have uh, days marked out on our calendars that we observe and celebrate every single year. Uh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And that is one of those days that, as Americans, we mark out and we celebrate. Right, this is a, an annual holiday modeled after the first Thanksgiving, which occurred in 1621 between the, the pilgrims and the Native Americans. And every year we celebrate this holiday remembering all that we have to be thankful for. And usually with this meal, or with this day, excuse me, is, a, is associated a particular meal. A particular meal that all people uh, prepare as we celebrate this day, and it usually centers around the turkey. And for many of you, you, you do the same thing every year. You have a, a routine on the fourth Thursday of every November. Perhaps you start to prepare this meal the, the night before or the, or the morning of. And that day of, you perhaps get together with the same family every year, at the same place and during the same time. And I, I bring this up in order that we might uh, draw a comparison between what we are seeing here in our text today, because much like ourselves, the Israelites also had days in their annual calendar that they observed and celebrated, the Passover being one of one such day. And it was in the Passover that they made the same meal. And they gathered in the same place at the same time, on the same day with the, with the same people in order to commemorate something likewise that, that happened in their nation's past as well. Now, this Passover that Jesus and the apostles will celebrate is detailed for us thoroughly in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. 
It's here in Exodus chapter 12 that the the Lord comes and He speaks to Moses and Aaron. And He tells them what they must do in order to escape this tenth plague that He is going to unleash upon the households in Egypt. And so He tells Moses and Aaron to tell the people of Israel that they are to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and they are to put the blood of that lamb upon the doorposts of their homes. And they are to do that so when the, when the Lord comes through and He takes away the, the firstborn of all those living in Egypt, He will pass by the homes of the Israelites who have this blood on their doorpost, which was a symbol that signified to Him that His people were there and so that He would pass over them and He would not let His wrath come upon them. And He tells them in this 12th chapter how they are likewise to prepare this Passover meal. And he says to them that this meal is to be a, a memorial to them. And that they are to, to prepare this meal every single year. And this meal is to be a feast unto the Lord. And every year that this meal is observed, they were to recall what it was that the Lord has done for them. And passing over their households. And in executing His judgment upon the firstborn in all the other homes in the land of Egypt. And yet sparing the Israelites who lived in Egypt. And and then eventually delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. And so it's this event then that is commemorated and celebrated on what would be the the 15th of the month of of Nisan, which was the the, the Jewish month, which would have fallen in between the end of March and the beginning of April. So that's the the background of of our text here today. Now, As we begin here in uh, verse 12, we are in Thursday now of the Passion Week. We are in Thursday of the Passion Week. Although we must remember that the Jewish days are different than our days. And so this meal was eaten at night. And so although it was Thursday night, for the Jews it would have been the start of Friday. For the Jewish days go from sunset to sunset. And so now with that better understanding... What we want to do now is turn our attention into the, the details of this day. For they are preparatory and they are necessary. They are necessary events that must occur prior to the crucifixion and death of our Lord. And so we're going to look at our text this morning under, under three headings to look to unpack the significance of what's occurring here in the timeline of Christ's life. And so the three main points that we're going to look at today are these. First, trusting the Word. Trusting the Word. That's point number one. Point number two is true disciple. True disciple. And the third point is taking hold of the opportunity. Taking hold of the opportunity. So trusting the word, true disciple, taking hold of the opportunity. So point number one then, trusting the word. Immediately Mark opens up by telling us what day it is. He says the it's the first day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb was to be eaten. But what we are told though from the from the question of the apostles is that they had nowhere to eat this meal on this day. Right? They had nowhere to go. This is why they say, Where will you have us go to prepare this Passover meal for you? Now what we've been seeing ever since Jesus entered Jerusalem on the that past Sunday, when he came in on that donkey, is that every night they would return or retreat to Bethany to stay the night. But here, the Passover meal had to be, set, had to be celebrated within the walls of Jerusalem. And so Jesus tells these two men who 
In Luke's parallel account, we are told that it is Peter and John that he tells. Right? So he tells Peter and John to, to go find lodging for the night because the Passover meal is going to be celebrated and it goes long into the night. And so they needed to find lodging. And so he sends Peter and John to do so. And Jesus says to them then in verse 13, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now we need to see that these directions are, are, are very precise directions. Right? They're, they're very precise. Jesus is not telling them to find some random person in town doing something that is common to all people. Right? It's not as if I told my children, I want you to go to Target and I want you to find a man working there wearing a red shirt. Right? That wouldn't be very difficult. All of us would be able to, to predict that or to, to tell our children that they will find someone wearing a, a red shirt working at Target. Right? That's, that's not something hard to do. And so what I want us to see is that Jesus does not do that. He doesn't tell them to go find a man in the city doing what all men do, but rather he's telling them to go find the only man in the city who's doing what the women and the young girls would do. You see, it was the women and the, and the, and the young women who would carry the, jugs or the jars of water. It was the men who would carry the wineskins. And so Jesus doesn't tell them to find someone that anyone could have predicted off the street. But rather, he tells them to go find the one man that only God would know about. He tells them to go find the one man doing what no other man would be doing, so that when they come upon this man, it would be obvious that they have found the one in whom the Lord has directed them to. Another reason for that, why he doesn't tell them directly who this man's name is, I think we can infer from the text, is that he doesn't want Judas to know the man's name. So Judas can turn to the authorities and have... Uh, them come to the home and arrest him. Right? For now was not the time. Then we see Jesus tells them to, to follow this man though. And in verse 14 he says, And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. Now I want you to think about this for a moment, brothers and sisters. Right? Think about if if your spouse or maybe a close friend to you said, hey, uh, we need to have dinner tonight, but there's nowhere for us to go. We have nowhere to dine, so I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go into the city, and I need you to go find this, this, this gentleman. Uh, you're not going to know his name. You'll simply know him by what he is doing. And when you find this man, I need you to walk up to him and say, where is my guest room that we might eat dinner tonight? And I wonder how many of us would be willing to do that? Probably none. And before we were willing to do that, what would we need to know? Right? We'd need to know the answer to a whole bunch of questions, wouldn't we? We'd want to know, why are you sending us here? Do you know this man? How am I to respond if he says no? What happens if he lets us in and there are no furnishings in the upper room, as you have said? Right? We'd want to know all of these questions before we went and did this. Why? Because we wouldn't want to look foolish. Right? We, wouldn't want to be, we wouldn't want to be embarrassed by wasting our time and finding someone who would then deny us our request. But this is not the case with Peter and John. Peter, especially throughout the Gospel, especially throughout the ministry of Jesus, had to learn many painful and embarrassing lessons, hasn't he? But today is not one of those. Right? Today there is no shame or no embarrassment for Peter nor John, for when they hear the words of the Lord, they don't ask any questions in return. They don't utter one word back to the Lord. 
They simply do exactly what he requested. And they go into the city and they find this man and they enter the house and they prepare this Passover meal. Now we said these directions from our Lord are precise. Yet from a human perspective, these directions don't seem very possible that they would, that they would be able to occur. They don't, they don't feel, seem very likely to occur. And yet what we see is that Peter and John just trust and obey. Right? They trust and they obey. But here is another example of our Lord demonstrating to them the truthfulness of his word and bringing all these things about. Right? He, he, he was revealing to them again that everything that he says, everything that he utters is right. He is revealing to them, he's showing them once more that no matter what I say, even if it seems unlikely to occur, I will bring to pass exactly as I declare it. Yet, brothers and sisters, this trust and this obedience wouldn't have been the reaction of the apostles in the past, would it? We can look to just Mark chapter 6, for example. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? What happens? They've, they were there all day. The people are, are hungry. What do the apostles say to Christ? They say, you need to send these people home. It's getting light. It's getting dark outside. They need to eat. You need to let them go. And what does Jesus say to the apostles? He says, you will feed them. What was their response? Was it, yes, Lord? No, it was sarcastic. It was, what are we, we going to spend 200 denarii and buy bread for all these people? Right? They didn't believe the Lord when He's told them that you will feed them. But here, brothers and sisters, now when He tells them something that seems highly unlikely to occur or very improbable, because they're probably thinking to themselves, where am I going to find this one person carrying the jar of water, which only women do? Where am I going to find this one guy who's going to have an upper room furnished for us? Where am I going to find a, a guy who's going to say yes to our request and let us in? And yet, brothers and sisters, even though this, this seemed very unlikely to occur, what happens? Right? They trust and they obey. They, they listen to the directions of their Lord. And they do this because they see Jesus as the Messiah. Right? They see Jesus as the Son of God. And as the Son of God, they know that His Word can be relied upon. And it can be believed and trusted. And this is something, brothers and sisters, that we all too must see. Right, that God's Word contained in the 66 books of the Bible that He has given to His church can be believed. But more so than that, not only can it be believed, I want us to see that it must be believed. Right, as God's Word is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible Word concerning our saving knowledge and faith and, pra faith and practice. It is only in Scripture that you will find these things. We ought to also obey God's Word and see every single word of it as trustworthy and true because we know that the same Spirit who, who penned this, this penned this text that we are reading today is the same Spirit who was with Christ as He preached these words. It's the same Spirit who was with the apostles who received these words. And it's that same Spirit today who is with you and I who enables us to believe these words. You see, we are to believe these words no less or find them no, no less authoritative because Christ isn't physically present with us today. Because, brothers and sisters, we need to see that Christ is present with us today through the Spirit. And He is still speaking these very same words to us. And so we need to listen. We need to be quick to listen to whatever our Lord says and to not question it. Right? That type of trusting, brothers and sisters, that God demands of us is not one that needs to know everything. 
That type of trusting that God demands of us is not one that needs to have all of our whys answered. Right? The type of trusting that God demands of us is one that is ready to say yes, no matter what God's Word says to us, whether we can wrap our minds around it or not. Right? It is this type of trusting that we are to exhibit when we meet trials in our lives. Right? We might not know why this trial is occurring in our life. Why are we suffering this? Why are we going through it? But brothers and sisters, we must trust that God is working out our good in all things. That God is working out His glory in this. That in our trial, God is strengthening our faith. That in our trial, He is refining us by the fire. And though in that fire, we can also trust and believe that He has us firmly gripped in His hand and He will not let us go. And how can we know that? Because God's Word says so. That Word that we are to to trust in. We are to trust in that Word. This is the kind of trust our Lord demands if you are to be His disciple. This is the type of trust that Peter and John show. And this is the type of trust that the homeowner shows in our text here today as well. And this then takes us to our second point, which is point number two, which is true disciple. Look with me at verse 16, please. We read this, And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as He told them, and they prepared the Passover. So this tells us that Peter and John found this man who was carrying the the, the jar of water. They walked up to Him. They told Him, just as Jesus said, the teacher says, Where is my guest room that me and my disciples might eat the Passover meal? And this man obliged. Right? We can tell from this that he provided the upper room that Jesus requested, accommodating Jesus and the apostles. Now what ought to surprise us though in all of this that is occurring in our text is why Jesus has to go to these lengths to find a home to eat in in the first place. Right? Where are all of Jesus' supporters? Where are all those people that the scribes and the Pharisees feared? Right? Where are all those who supported Jesus? You see, we need to see that it's far easier to support Jesus when you're amongst a crowd of people than it is when you are by yourselves or just with your family. Right? And so perhaps it was, it was fear. It was fear. They didn't want anyone seeing Jesus walk into their homes. Right? Because they knew what would happen. Perhaps they too would be arrested for harboring Jesus in their homes. And so they they feared that. And so they didn't want to invite Jesus into their homes. There was no clamoring to dine with the Savior that day for them. And so we see the extent of their favorable attitude to Jesus. They were favorable to Him in public, but they were not going to be favorable to to Him in private. They they did not want to stick their necks out, so to speak, and to perhaps be arrested or, or killed for harboring Jesus in their homes. And yet we see, brothers and sisters, that there was one who was willing. There was one man who was willing, right? Who would who would not be uh, uh, who would not allow fear uh, to cause him to deny the Savior, but rather this one man, seeing the great honor it was in having his Lord and Savior feast in his home. He was not willing to entertain fear, but instead he wanted to entertain his Savior. This was a man who likewise was not offended by what the apostles said. Just imagine today if someone came up to you and said, uh, the teacher says, where is his guest room in your house? So that he might prepare his meal. It's my house. What are you you talking about? 
This man was not offended in the least when the apostles came up to him and said, Where is our master's guest room in your house? And the man without any hesitation provides for them that guest room in his house. Now in opening up his home upon the request of the Lord, what this man then demonstrates to all of us is that he is a true disciple of Christ. Right? In opening up his home immediately upon the request of the teacher, he demonstrates he is a true disciple of Christ. He also demonstrates what his outlook is on all of his belongings in opening up his home to Christ. And his outlook was this, that whatever I have, that my Lord asks for, it now belongs to him. Right? This, that was this man's outlook. Whatever belongs to me, if my Lord wants it, it now belongs to him. Here, this man understood what it meant to, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus. And we need to think of ourselves in the same vein, brothers and sisters, that whatever we have, possessions, even our, our bodies, ourselves, ultimately belongs to the Lord. This man understood this was God's house. This man understood that was God's room. That even his life was, was God's and all that was given to him was given to him by the Lord in order that he might serve the Lord. There are many people today who use what they have for their own purposes, their own pleasures, who call themselves Christians. And that includes not only possessions, but their body. Right? They say, this is what God has given to me, so I can do with it what I please. But we need to see, that is not the true disciples' way of thinking. Rather, we are to say, everything that we have has been given to us by the Lord in order that we might serve the Lord with it. Right? This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ." But to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If we are truly the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to see, brothers and sisters, that all that we have been given is to be used for fruitful labor to our Lord. That means both body and possessions. What I want us also to see here under the second point is that for the Christian, there should be no no more important thing to do than to feast with the Lord. There ought to be no more important thing for the Christian to feast with the Lord. There ought to be no greater honor for the Christian than to entertain your Savior. Every other home in Jerusalem had shut its doors to the Savior, we see. They did not want to entertain Him this day, but what an opportunity they missed out on in shutting the doors to Christ. Right? They shut out God's grace from their doors. Let us, brothers and sisters, not shut out the grace of God in our own lives by closing the doors of our heart to our Lord. We are unworthy of His grace, but as He offers it, as He extends that grace to us in the Gospel, we ought to lay hold of it quickly. Because Christ does not give that grace to all men. He does not extend that grace to all people. He does not dine and feast with all people. And so when He extends that grace to us, we ought to receive it quickly. And see, it is the greatest honor to dine and to feast with our Lord. See, it is the, the greatest privilege that our Lord would take up residence in us, that He might dwell in His temple, and that He might cause us to feast upon Him each and every day of our lives. Right? It, is, it is Christ who allows us to, to speak to Him and, and to hear Him speak to us in His Word. It is Christ who gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding. It is Christ who bestows upon us eternal life. Don't pass that by by shutting out the grace of God in your lives. Right? Don't shut out the grace of God in your lives 
in favor of other things. Don't shut out the grace of God in your life for this world or the things of the world. For the true disciple, there ought to be nothing more precious, nothing more sweet than the grace and the fellowship that we have, that the believer has with God. And so let this teach us, brothers and sisters, every day to entertain Christ our Savior. Right? To, to entertain Christ our Savior in our homes. Right? To, to feast with Him daily as a family, as we worship our Lord together, and as we pray together as a family. Let it teach us to feast and dine with the Lord privately each and every day as we read His Word and we meditate upon His Word and we pray. And then the last thing I want us to see under the second point is that Christ came, the same way that Christ came into the world, Christ is now going to leave the world. Right? In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we read this. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. See, I want, I want you to see that that Jesus came into this world in a borrowed place. In the one place that would have him because every other place was unwilling. And as Jesus is about to go out of this world and the last home that he will dwell in is going to be a borrowed place. The only one that would have him because all others were unwilling. This shows to us, brothers and sisters, the, the lowly character of Christ in his first advent that He was disbelieved by men, that He was despised by men, that He was not given the honor and the glory that was due to the King of heaven and earth. But be assured that when Christ returns again, men will not be able to shut their doors to Him. Men will not be able to turn away from Him. And men will not be able to, to deny our Savior all that belongs to Him. All will be forced to reckon with His presence and for those whom Christ dines with now, when Christ returns, He's going to take you to His place to dine with Him once again. But for those of you here who deny Christ and refuse to feast with Him now, when He returns, you will lose out in any opportunity to ever feast with Him again. This leads us then, brothers and sisters, to our third and final point this morning, which is taking hold of the opportunity. Look with me, please, starting at verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to, to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as, is, as it is written of Him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now some of you may know what it is to have a, a, a bombshell dropped on your lap. You may know what it is to have a, a bombshell dropped on your lap. What I mean by that is you have some massive news kind of brought to your attention in an unexpected time and the news was something that you never thought uh, could happen. And if you've ever had that bombshell dropped on your lap, especially if it's uh, bad news, you know it kind of it, it ruins everything 
Right? It, it ruins the moment. It, it dampers the, the mood of the evening. What was once joyous has now been destroyed. This is what we see here occurring uh, in our text in verses 17 to 21. Uh, as they are gathering in this upper room, what would have been happening is there, was, there would have been a pronouncement made over the meal. Uh, these men would have been drinking wine together. They would have been uh, eating food together. Uh, they would have been singing uh, Psalms 113 to, to 118, which was, which was sung uh, every, at every Passover. They would have been enjoying one another's company during this time. They would have been reclining at the table, relaxing. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus just drops his bombshell upon their laps. And instantaneously that evening, the entire mood is shaken as our Lord says to them that one of you sitting here will betray me. And we see how, how, sh- how shook these men get by their reaction as we're told they are immediately sorrowful. Or that word sorrowful also can mean, can mean grieved. And so they're immediately sorrowful. Or they're immediately grieved. And so immediately, what, what is it that they say? What, what, they, they turn to the Lord in shock and they say, Is it I? Is it I? They're looking to the Lord to, to tell them, No, it's not you. But is that what he does here? No, he doesn't. In fact, what does he say? All he tells them is that one of the twelve who is dipping their bread in this dish is the one who will betray me. Now, brothers and sisters, that's not very helpful because all of them were dipping the bread in this dish. And then Jesus goes on to say, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man had he not been born. What we need to see here is that Jesus, He doesn't out Judas before the other eleven, does He? He doesn't expose Judas to the other eleven. But rather, he lets Judas know that he knows exactly what he has done and what he is doing. And in this, what we also ought to see is that Jesus is giving Judas one last chance. He's providing Judas one last opportunity before he commits this great act of betrayal. And we see how the the heinousness of the betrayal, it's brought out for us in the intimacy of the moment, isn't it? This is a man who is dipping his bread in the very same dish as our Lord, who is celebrating the Passover meal in this upper room with the Lord. And it is this one who is with our Lord at this time, intimately, who will betray him. The gravity of this betrayal, the, the greatest betrayal that has ever occurred, the greatest betrayal that will ever occur, is underscored by our Lord in verse 21 when he says, it would have been better for this person if he had not even been born. And at that moment, brothers and sisters, what Judas should have done is repent of his sin. What Judas should have done was return those 30 pieces of silver. But what he should have done was place his faith and trust in Christ and been willing to stand by him whether that meant life or death. But Judas does not do this. He, he passes up his one final opportunity and he denies Christ our Savior and he will betray him. And so this warning then that our Lord gives them only serves to establish uh, the guilt of Judas even more. And look at all that Judas was given, yet it was never enough for Judas. Judas was one of the twelve who was able to spend years with the Lord in the presence of God. He was the one who constantly had the gospel. You can imagine each and every day Judas heard the gospel in his ears. 
Judas was someone who the Lord provided for and looked over and took care of. Think about it. Judas was one who was given spiritual gifts for a time in order that he might do miraculous deeds. Right? Judas was, was one who had all these things and yet none of it was enough to turn his heart from sin and towards Christ. That is because Christ could not satisfy the soul of Judas. Money and possessions could. Even in this meal, brothers and sisters, what we need to see is that Judas was given many opportunities, actually. In the, in the sacrificing of this perfect lamb, Judas was given the opportunity to see that it was a foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice of the true lamb who was sitting right before his very eyes. Judas was given another opportunity as they recounted the, the story of the exodus and the, and the putting of the blood on the doorposts how that covered the Israelites from the wrath of God. And this was the opportunity for Judas and for all those men there to see how this foreshadowed their need to be covered by the blood of the true Lamb of God so that the wrath of God would would pass by them as well. And yet Judas missed out on all of these opportunities that God had graciously given to him. He wasted three years of his life with the Lord. He wasted his final chance to repent and to believe and instead He betrays our Lord. But what we need to see, even in this act of betrayal, is that Judas doesn't win. The chief priests, in putting Christ to death, they do not win. In fact, Jesus says in verse 21, that what must occur to him is written. This is God's plan. The Passover is established to point forward to this very moment. As Christ is the Passover lamb, this is his Passover meal and they are guests at his Passover. And it's at this moment that they ought to be looking forward in this meal, not to the deliverance that that the Israelites experienced in Egypt, but rather to that greater deliverance that Christ was to bring from sin and death and the devil through the shedding of his blood, that perfect spotless lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world for all who would believe. And so, brothers and sisters, we have to see in Christ, He gained victory in His death, right? He is the the victor in the situation, not the loser. And He will come again to vindicate Himself before all people. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, we each, each and every one of us this morning have been given another opportunity this day. I want us to see that. Every Sunday we gather, we are given another opportunity to heed the warnings of Christ. Every Sunday when we gather, we are given another opportunity to hear the gospel proclaimed. And we are called by our Savior to respond in faith. And so I call upon you, I exhort you, don't pass up on an opportunity today. If you are an unbeliever here this morning, don't pass up on the opportunity to receive the gospel this very day and to place your faith and trust in Christ. Right? Do not harden your hearts to this message. If you are a believer this day who has not been walking faithfully and obediently to the Lord, I tell you this day, don't pass up on the opportunity to repent of your sin and to return to your first love. For those of you here this morning who have been walking faithfully, this is an opportunity for you still to be strengthened in your faith. To have have God continually establish your faith to grow you in your faith, to to develop your faith by demonstrating the truthfulness of His Word as we see all of the things that He said come to pass. 
as He teaches us this morning to be true disciples without any spirit of fear, that we might believe that He is the Passover Lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. And that knowing that He is that Passover Lamb, that He has turned away the wrath of God from, for those of you who believe. And that He has reconciled you to the Father this day. Which ought to give us assurance that Christ will return to complete all that He has said that He will do. Right? But until that day, until that day our Passover Lamb returns, let us be sure, brothers and sisters, to be daily dining with our Lord and to be daily feasting upon His every word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for both Your rebuke and Your promises. We ask, Lord, this day that You would teach us how to better trust Your words. How, Lord, we are to recall past events which would help to to strengthen our assurance of all future events that You have decreed and have said will come to pass. Lord, we pray likewise that You would help us to be true disciples. That we would be quick to answer yes to our Savior without needing to have those questions answered. And Lord, we likewise uh, pray, Father, Lord, that we would make good use of every opportunity that You give us. That in every opportunity we would glorify uh, our Savior. That we would use opportunities to not pass by the grace of God, but to to receive it and, and to grow from it and to exercise ourselves in His grace throughout all of our lives. And so, Father, we come before You this morning. We ask all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.